Hi everyone, I'm Portia. And I'm Namsa. Welcome to Assume It Will Be Brilliant, Shondaland Stan Podcast. Hey Noms! Hi Portia! How are you? I'm good, I am tired, I'm tired you know when you go out at this at this at this age yeah on a friday you go out on a friday night sunday i'm smashed still like <laughs> don't yeah. even know yeah because your body has its own agenda and it's actually done with you using your it's mind and your will to like force it to engage in ways it's like we're not built for this you know we're not yeah we're not we're not <coughs> 17 anymore yeah, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm good, but I'm tired, but I'm good. And you? I'm also, I'm actually pretty good. Yeah, I'm running on like four hours of sleep as well because I places huh. and didn't respect my own boundaries. Um, I was like, <laughs> you're never social, you should be more social. And then I was like, there's a reason you're not that social. So, <laughs> but I'm in good shape. I'm in good shape and I'm excited for us to get into it. Are you ready to go? Yeah, absolutely. Let's promenade the time. Yeah, you've been ready. People should know because you've wanted to talk about Bridgerton since you, we watched it and you didn't even give me an inch of your thoughts. So I'm going to, I'm really excited to find out. I didn't. Let's get into it. So what I thought we'd do is just start with a summary of the plot. So we're back in the turn. It's everything we know. It's Anthony Bridgerton's turn, right? So Daphne's brother, he's He's next up to bat, right? And he's like, I've got to choose the diamond because what I need is a proper marriage. I just need to find a lady who's not annoying, who's smart, who gets what we need to do. He's just a very responsible person and he's taking this very seriously. He has a piece of paper. It's got names on it. He's got criteria. He just wants to get through them and be like, who's the one I'm going to win? But the queen's not chosen her diamond yet. We see some new arrivals. It's the Sharma family, single mom, two daughters. Her husband has died. It wasn't a match that her parents parents wanted or even that the queen approved of so she was shunned in a way and so off she went to India with her husband and he was a widower who already had a daughter who's the older one and the main character this season she goes by Kate her name is actually Katani and she's over the hill in Bridgerton times she's not (laughs) 26 and she herself is like it's fine I'm about to be an independent woman I'm very strong I ride horses I probably I don't have a problem what I'm here for is to get my sister married. I taught her everything she needs to know to be the prime rose, the diamond, as they say. And I just want her to get married. She has secrets though, because obviously the patriarch died and they had a little bit of trouble with money. And she knows that she has spoken with, I guess, I don't I don't fully remember the details. It's slipping away now. But basically her mother, her stepmother's parents are going the to let the grandchild, the Sheffields, will let the grandchild, who is her sister, the very beautiful, Edwina. Edwina, yes. They're going to they would let her inherit money, but only if she married into the English aristocracy, she married well, because obviously her mother was this deep disappointment. And so Kate's doing everything she can. She's pushing, pushing, pushing for her sister to just find the perfect match and be happy. Mom, for the first half of the season, is just kind of around. I was like, girl, are you in charge of anything? This Kate runs yes. like what <laughs> she's barely active in the situation. But you know, Kate. Can I just say, yeah, Mary Sharma, the mom, is 
beautiful. Oh my God, she's gorgeous. Oh, she's so beautiful. All of them are beautiful. In fact, let me tell you, I just want to read you a text message that my brother wrote, which really made me laugh. This is my brother, Elvis. <laughs> I'll just call him out. I don't know how to beat things. So you're out here now in these streets. We never talked about the brown skin baddies in Bridgerton. <laughs> Exclamation point. <laughs> Ashley's jawline should have sonnets written about Yes! Her jawline. It's like her face is sculpted. It really is. I, every time there's like a new person introduced and you watch them for, I'm like, how is she not super famous already? Like, how did we miss her? <laughs> obviously. So that's the plot. Well, of course, the plot twist is Lil Sis Edwina obviously becomes the diamond. She's ready to go. She's very impressive. She knows how to do all the, the dance moves, whatever the electric slide is of the Regency era. She's got it down. Okay. The cotillion. The cotillion. <laughs> yeah, she's got it. And what happens is Kate, on her like, I'm an independent woman adventures beautifully very dramatically Ala Bridget runs into Anthony while horse riding she's very impressive her horse jumps over her whole thing and she turns around she takes her hood off and it's like it's a girl and she's <sighs> beautiful and so Anthony's like what who that <sighs> she doesn't say and then he's on his business stuff you know just like who's the lady for me the queen is like Edwina with some cajoling from Lady Danbury, who's still a yes. matchmaker, I run the ten in my spare time vibe. And she's sponsoring the Sharma family out of kindness to the mother. So the diamond is chosen and it's Edwina because the queen is looking for spice. She wants to shake things up. Okay, she's being very bored by these other kids who are around. She's like, I need some spice. I need something extra. And so Anthony's like, perfect match. She's the chosen one. If I marry her, I win. It's a win-win. Talks to Edwina. Edwina's like, yeah, I read books. And he's like, well, <laughs> here it is. You know? Here it is. You're in. You're absolutely in. You know, <laughs> that's all I needed. Thank you so very much. And so that's the twist because Kate made him met him first, and they had that tension that we all know is romance storyline 101. Yeah, they hate each other. They had the cute, so the we love cute. each other. Yeah, exactly. It's the like hate story first, and then we fall in love. And so that is generally what's going on. The rest of it is textbook romance. Like we run into each other. Slow burn. You touch yeah. my test. Now we both can't breathe. How is this going to go? I can never say any. Intrigue, intrigue. You know what I mean? It is what it is. <laughs> For the rest of it. So I thought we'd start. <laughs> wow. Everybody should hire me to um, summarize. Like I told my brother while we were having this conversation. It was because I was like, I don't know. We'll do the scorecard now so I can explain. But I told him is essentially, look, we're there for the twists and turns. Nothing yeah. actually riveting is happening. Like one of the things I felt this season is that Kate and Anthony were acting their butts off. Like they were giving us what they could. Yes. And yet I didn't quite buy it. I still wasn't all the yes. way. I don't know what that last bit of chemistry, because they were really giving it their all. Like I fully believed Anthony. I fully believed Kate. But And the same is true for season one for me. Really? I, I, I mean, I actually think their chemistry was a little more believable than this couple's. They yes. had very sort of different-ish storylines because there wasn't a competition thing like with the sisters. Uh, but I also still didn't buy fully buy it. I was like, yeah, you're here. You're giving me the drama. And all I know is I'm there for the twists and turns and the very, oh me, oh my goodness me. Yeah. You know, that's what's 
entertaining. So what do you what did you think if you were to give a score overall season one versus season two? I've got two different scorecards. Season one, I thoroughly enjoyed that was really telling a very specific love story. And that was the main thing happening. And I really enjoyed it was steamy. It was sexy. It was intriguing from that perspective. So for me, I would give it quite a high score. I don't, I don't know what score, maybe like an eight out of 10 for that. Oh, wow. okay. Whereas the other spots, other, everything else happening on the sidelines, I'd give it a six. Whereas this season i felt i really really enjoyed the storytelling of all the other characters outside of the you know the shamas and anthony i've loved them telling the story more of the featheringtons and seeing Mm -hmm. more of the queen Mm -hmm. seeing benedict and i really enjoyed that i I thought it was it lifted the show story-wise so for me in that respect i gave it i would give it an eight but the actual love triangle definitely a six for me Okay, yeah, you gave a few different scores on there. Somehow I just feel, because it's not like I rewatched season one, that season one was stronger than season two. There is mm-hmm. also, I always have to give that margin of novelty, always adds a little of bit course. of spice to something, you know, and now we're already in the world, we already know the characters. And so yeah. we have certain kinds of expectations of feeling, and if they aren't met, you may downgrade it more than it requires. Yeah, I think story-wise and like spice-wise, not that that's a real metric, season one was giving every time the rake walked into the room you know what i mean when they had to buy for each other's love there before the queen you know i was like I'm, yes. I'm in this i get it this season though i did feel was a little more in a sense grounded at least character wise for yeah. the women like i re as you said i really enjoyed the flashback to give the emotional weight of who i I enjoyed that a lot Especially Anthony I I was much much more Taken by I like Anthony Bridgerton a lot I I love him I thought the The actual actor I don't know his name Like he did such a good job Jonathan Bailey Is Jonathan Bailey I love him Is your love now (laughs) I love Um, him Like the emotionality He brought to his character Especially in comparison. So the other things I wanted you to score were like leading ladies, season one, season two, like who's your favorite? I'll do it. Let's get into it. And then leading man, who is your favorite? So I'm already giving away my answer to leading man. Roger Jean Page is obviously like looking at a literal art sculpture. Like, what is that? Who's even allowed to be that way? You know what I mean? And in terms of being what you stereotype and what you expect from that sort of era of like very dramatic romance very unrealistic but very dramatic romance perfectly cast he did such a good job of being that guy but Anthony to me like I feel for him like I didn't think about I don't have that much empathy or you know feelings about the first guy I'm like hey that was a fun love story watched it but they gave him this depth you know they explained his his deep sense of duty and responsibility and not just in this day I am a man I whatever they showed you where he's stuck in his trauma and mm. losing his father and then they expanded upon it with showing his mother's reaction and then the reconciliation of her saying it was too much for you I'm, I checked out because it's all I could do but it was too much of a burden for you to bear and him sort of reckoning with that and then choosing his happiness in the end because that's what he couldn't do he was like I cannot make myself vulnerable 
vulnerable in that way because I've seen the pain that results. And then deciding with his mother's advice, you know what I mean? That like, it's worth it. Like to not yeah. have just like you don't have life so Anthony's my number one leading man I would give him like a nine out of ten you know ten out of ten I mean what is the scale and leading ladies this one is hard for me because I just think Simone is so enigmatic on screen is her name Simone Mm -hmm. Ashley yes yeah she has two first names which is annoying You know, I'm like, Ashley, Ashley is Simone. Um, I really liked her. In the beginning, I was like, I'm not sure. You know, I don't know. She's because she came in hot. You know what I mean? Just yeah. fighting Lady Danbury on day one. And I was like, girl, have some respect. You know what I'm saying? But she <laughs> Um, But three episodes in, I was very much invested in her, in her line. You know what I mean? That being said, last season, like Daphne is great. She was a great actress. And, you know, she's so young in the context of of that time. So I was really getting her dramatic feelings. And I also liked what they did with her and Anthony in this season, carrying over from last season about, you know, that conflict that, you know, the double standards, the judgment. Mm -hmm. And I thought she was a great leading lady last time. So by a margin... I actually prefer Daphne as a leading lady, but like no shade, zero shade to Simone. (laughs) So, so I actually, I don't want to be controversial, however. You always say that and then you say exactly (laughs) So firstly, okay, uncontroversially, I agree with you about Anthony. I give him a 10 out of 10 because of exactly what you're talking about, the depth, everything they went into his character. Did you ever watch Crashing on Netflix? Oh, with, uh, what's her name? Phoebe, is her name Phoebe? Yes, yes, yes. I think I saw a few episodes. I can't remember fully, like the whole season, but maybe, yeah. So I loved him. Crashing. Yes! In Crashing. I loved him. He had this crazy character. Like it wasn't, he was not the good guy. Yeah. But he was so for me compelling and I really enjoyed him there. Yeah. This, I really, really enjoyed him, especially in season two. And I really felt Jonathan Bailey acting. Like mm. every look he was giving, he was giving. See, to me, if I had to give out an award for best actor in this season, Same. it would be Anthony. Absolutely. 100%. I didn't even go there expecting, again, because the men are the throwaway. I'm like, they're here to yes. stereotype for the women to dance around. We're in a romance. The genre is, you know, about the, can you win her? Can But you can be whatever kind of man. Like, you've never been the point. Yes. <laughs> but but yes. This, I really didn't expect it. And I was so compelled by him. I found him so well-rounded as a character. Mm. In a way, I felt Kate's wasn't and in a way I felt Edwina wasn't oh yeah um I was giving me acting class she had these moments completely she she did this thing where there was like a denouement for me but she was more believable afterwards when she was a little bit bitter when she was a little bit like get out of here I thought that's when she really came into comfort before I felt like you could see she was acting yeah I and I just felt so every time, you know, everything he was saying to Kate, every scene, I believed so it. Truly. Exactly. Yeah, it yeah. felt real, right? Yeah. And there was that one scene near the end when his mom comes and tells him that Kate's awake mm. and where he broke down. Oh, I know. So good. It was so good. So for me, I absolutely good. agree. Very good I'm so good. And I really agree in terms of what Simon gave me season one 
was leading man. Mm-hmm. That thing of just like, I just need to be on the screen. Yeah. You know, you know that like, everybody's looking at me anyway and I'm here. Yeah. 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 And it was, and I really enjoyed, he, he acted that very well mm-hmm. and it was a very different kind of character. But like you say, didn't, like it lacked a little bit of the well-roundedness of, of Anthony. And I think they perhaps learned how to do that character mm-hmm. better. Simon to me was, was just playing emotionally unavailable, which is just something we've seen before many, many times. Yeah. And I will crack a window open for you, lady, because you're that special. But I can't tell you my deep, deep secrets and blah, blah, blah. And it's interesting because Anthony- I mean, said, he did. He did eventually, but it was yeah. that thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The, yeah. the performance of the like, I can, I can, I can, I yeah. can. I will, but yeah. little, oh, you draw it out of me. Like that very sort of yes. um, performance, but, but emotional unavailability was the call of the, which is, you know, it's yes. classic, it's Beauty and the Beast, right? It's not very novel. Yeah. And it's interesting because Anthony's a much quieter character like yes. he's a quiet leading man he has yes you yes. can say that out front but everything he which is why it was just so because he was doing so much internal emoting yes. you know what i mean so much and then he did have the advantage i wonder if it would be different in season one if they had also done a flashback for simon that showed you how he got because Anthony i mean they did do those they yeah. just didn't do them with Regis on page and i think that's yes. the difference mm. is that you actually seeing that man mm. in the situation whereas for simon you saw young child or baby so mm-hmm. you didn't quite like it didn't quite compute in the same way true. it's true i think that's a very, um very important then term. with it with kate's oh i stopped oh, sorry yeah <laughs> then with kate you were going then with kate no i was just saying that's true there was the disconnect yeah yeah it was yeah. not quite so I do think they they just learned how to do it be- and better. Also, the the thing about Simon was that it was it wasn't connected to it was just about him and why yeah. he is the way he is. It wasn't connected to why. It, I mean, it isn't. It isn't. But in the sense, yeah. of, What am I trying to say? For Anthony, first of all, it's him in the scene, but it's about him and his his father and mother's relationship. It's about loss yes. of love and then the fear of loss of love. And then he's mm. faced with it immediately, like with his partner. Whereas it felt like for Simon, there was nothing. He was just there. Daphne was chasing him and he yes. had to sort something out by himself. And it didn't really mm. involve Daphne. You know what I mean? Mm. It wasn't like, she just had to be like, come on now, get it together. Yeah. yeah. Kate, for me, I think Simone Ashley is beautiful. I think her acting is beautiful. I think she is lovely, Kay. I just didn't enjoy the character. Mm. I didn't enjoy the only Sharma to be fair, to be honest, that I enjoyed was Mary Sharma and she was hardly on the screen. I know, I know, but she did have a exciting moment when she yelled at her parents. I did not Absolutely. see that scene coming. It was a hectic. Me neither. Okay. But I I really didn't enjoy what I what I enjoy, it felt so drummed up for me, the, mm-hmm. the love hate. Mm-hmm. And I didn't yeah. quite, it was like, okay, I this whole think, thing is a bit. Yeah, I wonder about filming. And I just order. felt yeah. also, and here's where I'm going to, I don't want to, I felt like Daphne and Anthony had more chemistry than Kate and Anthony. I mean, it's, it's your truth and it's many people's truth. I, and I think a part of that might also be that they've been, on a season already together. 
and it, it you know and they've had that sort of my my feeling was that because it's funny because the when they first meet and they're on that little horse riding track I thought that connection that tension that they built was perfect and then I don't know why percent. she I don't know if it was her decision or both of them or what the deal was but I feel like they switched up the tension and it was a little too high. You know what I mean? So it would feel forced and a little dramatic. Like I just didn't buy the tension sometimes. Like I knew what was coming in the scene, but I didn't like, you know, I mean, the one part that was so funny for me, like Anthony did such a great job, but that scene when they're outside, I think before they hook up for the first time, when he like growls a little bit, it did make me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know. For me, it felt like I wish they'd kept that thing from when they first met that. that Yes. Throughout, because that had me, you know what I mean? But they do Same. a roller coastery thing. Suddenly you're so mad. And it's like, not yes. that you didn't do this on purpose. Like, but yeah, they, I guess they wanted the drama, you know. I, I agree. And you know what I think it is also for me, a bit of the story where it lacked was mm. not lacked was so what I found out was the story that we saw on Netflix is not the same story in the books, which made sense to me because I thought, oh, I no, never then... expect that to be in adaptations, but I don't know what the story of the books is either. But I mean, season one was very close where okay. season two was very par- far mm. in that this book, the book didn't have the love triangle at all, which for me, makes complete sense Mm. when edwina says she loves anthony i thought girl what (laughs) there is no way Mm -hmm. in the books edwina never loves loves him never she she in fact when she said later on was was it always this obvious in the Mm. books for edwina it was always obvious obvious. and she was so happy when they decided to actually be together. Whereas this one had an actual, they also never got engaged. Edwina and Anthony never got engaged Yeah. in the books. Okay. That makes more sense. So yeah, I, I think actually the book version made a lot more sense plot wise for me than what actually played out. Cause I, I found the love triangle didn't quite match up in my mind because there was no love triangle. <laughs> yeah. She just decided to... I mean, Anthony did not love Edwina. Exactly. <laughs> I think they tried to explain it by her basically saying like, oh my word, this whole time you've been projecting your desires onto me. This is Edwina saying to her sister, I don't even know like what are my choices and what aren't. You love him and you've been pushing me in a direction so that's why I was convinced I love this guy because, you know, this is mm. what I've been told to become based on your training because what you want me to like inherit us money, which is so I felt so bad the whole time for Kate. And I mean, I have to sort through that because I was like, well, how am I like Kate? In which ways am I like Kate? Because I felt so defensive of Kate. You know what I mean? Right. I was like, OK, I get it, Edwina, you're mad. But Kate was really trying to do what she thought was best. And obviously she's not going to tell you and you all get arranged married anyway. But I also understand that in that moment, if I yeah. was at my wedding and then my fiance is not looking, picking up a bracelet for my sister, like it's the most precious stone in the world. 
I too might be like, all of you can burn, you know? Because imagine how embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. I do like, though, that she, that what she did keep expressing her sort of disdain afterwards. Like she didn't just like win a triumph and then self-righteous and perfect after that. I like that they kept her human and that she was agree, like, agree. whatever. Like I'm here because I have to be, but I am still angry yes. about it. And that she didn't toxic towards either Kate yeah. or she had her boundaries like don't or come Anthony. in don't do whatever or Anthony because that's always an easy one for some reason I was also very moved when Anthony told her when she said do you love me but and he said yeah. I understand you understand so that's you. another that's a testament to Anthony as well like he really had me believing that like I don't know if that's real I do feel it's real and true but at the same time is that just words that he said in a way that moved me but it means nothing in IRL you know <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, but I believed it. And so that scene was very moving to me. I also like when Lady um, Danbury and um, Mama Bridgerton are in the crisis together and Lady Danbury, <laughs> girl, I have no idea what to do next. Like, is, and they just start there. laughing. And they just start laughing. It was kind of awkward because they do it in that like, <laughs> way. <laughs> But I really, really loved that scene a lot. You know, I wasn't necessarily feeling bad for Kate. I just was feeling over Edwina. Like, I got it. I was like, how embarrassing. But mm. I just felt like, okay, girl. Mm. But she felt very young. And and I think I think that I actually credit to, to the actress, Sharitra, okay. or Sharitra, yeah. credit to her because she played such a young, naive mm. character so young and naive like Mm -hmm. it came across exactly like that and so for that I say well done and she was annoying in that sense like you know I think a part of me is like annoyed by that sort of naivete it's just because she played it so well I think but I did feel like okay get over it but I do agree when she was like about him she's like was it that obvious I then felt like oh this is a real person Mm-hmm. Because the whole time she is playing the character that, you know, she's been taught to, to play. And so I did get her struggle in that. The one thing about Kate that I was like, girl, in the beginning, when she finds out um, that Anthony, when, when she's eavesdropping and she has all of these, the list of these things that Anthony wants, I'm like, you literally have trained your sister to be exactly everything on that list. Mm-hmm. Now, suddenly you have disdain for the list. Mm-hmm. You know the list exists. All of these women know that this list exists and they all train up to be that list so mm-hmm. that they can be the diamond and to be wanted right. and to be desired. So to then turn around and hate it, mm-hmm. I, I for me, I was like, girl, please. Mm-hmm. You, just, you just upset that you like him and he's actually supposed to be going after your sister. That's how I felt. Like you can't possibly be upset that she's, he's looking for everything your sister is. Oh my gosh. I know. I did find that it, it was a little bit, again, you know, one of the, the caveats we always make whenever we talk about these things is like, it's television, right? There's things done for entertainment yeah. and adapted uh, because I found that she matured far too rapidly and relatively unrealistically uh, in an empowered way in um, Edwina maybe it's a projection of mine Edwina like in that yeah whole, uh, wedding drama because it was literally in a span of 15 minutes you know she's in like romance cloud land and then she's like found the truth 
assessed it completely yeah. and come through and taken her power back. And she completely understands that it's about her choice. Yeah. When throughout the season, she has d- displayed no inclination toward her own um, autonomy and agency and, yes. and self, you know, direction. Suddenly. Yeah, suddenly. And then suddenly she yeah. was self-realized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree a hundred percent. I agree. I agree. Hard agree. And I think it was for me a lack of. There was just a bit of a lack of storytelling in terms of like Edwina and Kate as individual mm-hmm. characters. I felt like they leaned so heavily on their sisterly bond as mm-hmm. the entire character. Not entire, but like that felt like that was their personality. <laughs> was <that> their yeah. sisters? <laughs> so that in that way. To be honest, the only time other than the very beginning you spoke about where I felt like, okay, I really feel this whole Kate mm-hmm. and Anthony romance was in episode eight. And can I tell you, Portia, I was like, oh, I'm getting into it. I didn't realize that this was the last episode. Oh, no. Are you serious? Oh and I was God. like, wait, 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 wait. They've sped up the whole honeymoon. They've sped up. Wait, oh, it's over. It's over. They, they gave us the happy ending we want. This is how these things end. There's just like a still of a perfect moment and then it's over. Let's uh let's take a bit of a break and then we'll come back, uh, have a brief discussion about the music, and then get into, you know, the commentary, the cultural and colonial undertones and implications of just like the story having been told and you know, how people will have different feels about it, you know? Yeah. Well, let's start with the, the, the music. I know many people don't enjoy this about Bridgerton, you know, the covers. I love it. I really do. I like being able to recognize a song when they played... Uh, some of them I didn't realize and I listened to the soundtrack afterwards like oh yes um mm-hmm. but uh, like when they played Material Girl I didn't even notice it but when they played Diamonds Rihanna's Diamonds at the Diamond Ball I think yeah. because of what the ball was I was like yeah. oh this is Diamonds so that was I actually really liked that one yeah. of my favorite favorites was when they it was at the wedding when yeah. everyone's walking down the aisle and and they played Harry Styles' Sign of the Times. I oh, yes. loved it. Oh, I, really I mean- thought it was dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> so I was highly irritated. I remember having to rewind. I, I knew the song, but I couldn't figure it out, you know? And that's one of the things I'm like, is this edition fun or is it actually a distraction in this new season? Like in the first season, it was like, oh, I think I that tune oh interesting and now because I was expecting it I was like what song is that what's that and then completely just like not being present to the scene at all the one that I struggled with 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 was what about us mm-hmm. and I kept thinking I'm busy singing trying to sing the song like what song is it and eventually it's coming to an end I was like oh it's pink the Harry Styles one I was like oh and I must tell you when that wedding scene happens where he is looking at Kate mm-hmm. and then he picks up the bracelets when he goes down, I just, my whole time, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> it was so cringe, so awkward. Um, and then they played You Ought to Know. And I actually, that one I really recognized, the um, Alanis Morissette one. And then also the Miley Cyrus Wrecking Ball. That was a really good 
that was a good choice. And of course, there was how deep is your love? And I did, I was like, are we playing like a house track? Yeah. <laughs> I remember also being like, okay, okay. But, and also I was su- surprised because I feel like last season, the music that they covered was contemporary in, yeah. in like a real near sense. And then this one was like, when was the last time I heard how deep is your... <laughs> Yo, exactly. <laughs> like, when was the last time? They played, I know they played Nirvana. They played, um, I mean, of course, like we say, Alanis Morissette. So there was like, it felt a bit um, soundtracky, you know, for like a show. It felt mm-hmm. much more soundtracky. I still love it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think insofar as you're going to have a period piece that you want, every, I think it's, it's, it's kind of like a, it's new, it's novel. So that's what's interesting. It's novel. Like, because you would just expect classical music and you have no connection to it. And I mean, I, I would imagine that the people who promote the show when they're trying to be like, this is why our show is so unique and so special, they'd say something like this. Like we're bringing classical yes. music into the modern era or something like that. And I don't think about seeking out classif- classical covers of things. Um, yes. Or brass covers. Like my brother introduced me to this band called Brass Tracks that does covers, but all in brass instrumentals. And mm-hmm. they have this song, uh, Mariah's Always Be My Baby. And I swear mm. I prefer it to the actual song. Like, like just the vibe no listen (laughs) in a way I'm not saying listen Mariah is Mariah and like you know when it comes down to it if somebody was like you follow Mariah into a fire I'm like obviously you know I was about (laughs) to say you tried it (laughs) yeah like a better but it's interesting you know and at least it adds something a little extra to the show makes it a little bit less stuffy pulls you out of being like fully in there um, it makes it a lot less yeah you, you don't take it so seriously because it's like oh like yeah. so exactly. I do I do enjoy that and I must say one other really positive thing for me yeah. I think the show is beautiful oh it's I, they put a lot of work. that's the one place where they're excelling costume and design give that lady her whatever I don't know if it's all a the money or a per- yeah just give them all the money everybody who's working on the background on the sets on the whatever like the hair, the Queen Charlotte. Beautiful. Yeah. This season in particular, they mm. raised the bar. They I raised they the bar. Incredible. I did also <sighs> like they gave her so, so again, back to the thing of giving these women a little bit more depth because they also introduced yes. us to the king and what her struggle is, which was really nice. And also uh the one plot point we we completely ignored, but is obviously very central is Lady Whistledown herself. And I just feel so bad for her because now she's gone and lost her best friend and her man never loved her. Like, <laughs> I saw so many people posting that they would just like die and go in a hole when Colin was like, well, my friend, you don't count. Wow, imagine being told you don't count Penelope. You don't count. Meanwhile, this woman is living and breathing for you to just for look him. in her direction. <laughs> You know, I was very shocked that she sold out her friend, but it was to save her. I also understand being under pressure and not being able to come up with a new thing. And honestly, for me, I am assuming there's a season three. The numbers look like they were high even for season two. There's a three and four coming. Uh, I don't know if I'm here for four, but for three, I am. to see what happens to that relation. That's what I'm invested in now, actually. Um, Penny and um, Eloise and Eloise's relationship to see if that ever gets repaired Um, and speaking of which so we're about to go into like the cultural colonial social commentary discussing a little bit of the like colorblind casting situation but one of the things I the social commentary piece 
and something that I found was actually very well done. So mm. last season, we had this, the question of what is this, this colorblind casting? Is this appropriate? Like, are we just ignoring colonialism? Like, yes, there's some um, historical accuracy to this. Is it appropriately explained? There was that blunder where Lady Danbury is talking to Simon and being like, remember how we made things better by mixing with the whites, you know? And it's a little mm. bit like it, it felt uncomfortable and just bumbly and not just the very best. What I thought they handled well was Eloise and her friendship with the guy in the printing shop. And mm. when he basically calls her out on her class privilege and mm. says, and when he does that thing, which is so familiar to us on different kinds of isms, he's basically like, yeah, you came here, you know, slumming it. And he's like, I'm not even surprised. He says something along those lines, like, I, you know, you are like the others and I should have expected it in a way, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like that yeah. when the going gets tough, you got, you know, you got to go. And you're coming down here being like, I'm here to check you're okay. And he's like, you're putting me in literal danger. Yeah. If, if the queen and them are after you, why are you even talking to me? Because you know what I'm going to get. So I really like that piece. And I liked how Eloise, that's, she's also an excellent actress. I love her. I love she's her. brilliant. She's brilliant. Yeah. And I like her voice as well. It's just, it, it works yeah. well for the like comedic things she's doing, you know. Yes. And for, you know, chasing down what she needs to chase down. Very well woven in how, the way that the queen like planted her people to try and find someone. And that it became that twist where I had even forgotten that she had tried to help find Lady Whistledown for the queen uh, mm -hmm. the previous season. So anyways, that was just to say that was a well-handled, like a little bit of class commentary on there. This season was a little bit more complicated. So my best friend is Indian and we had a whole discussion. She hasn't watched Bridgerton, but she's like already mm. put off by seeing Indian people in like, these eras during this like time of colonization. She's just like, I'm not into it. I think making these things sort of glorifies colonialism in a way because it's like, oh, aren't we just falling in love with our colonizers? How cute. <laughs> also has this worry that it sort of fortifies yeah that's like any sort of adoration for the oppressor like you know is very like I freaking hate this you know what I mean mm -hmm. and all of the people who've assimilated like all the the Indian folk and obviously we're black people on this podcast and I'm not trying to speak for them I'm just saying about a conversation I had she was like I feel this like affirms their assimilationist sort of propensities, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And to feel like good about it. And anyway, it makes sense. You don't have to think it's right or wrong. It like it's it's a it's a justified, valid perspective to, to have mm -hmm. on. And it was interesting just for me to sort of think about it because on the one hand, I was like, I don't know that it's that powerful in the sense of I don't know that anybody's gonna watch this and think oh this is good you know <laughs> what I mean like to me it's so because I've watched season one and season two it's so clearly packaged to be this like heightened romantic drama and I keep thinking everybody's viewing it with that sort of lens and understanding right right, right. I, I do have to question myself and be like are there sort of dangerous implications to this because the other thing too is history even in its depiction of Europe is whitewashed. Like we know that our own yes. people of color is very whitewashed, but there's this idea that anything old like that, because we've only seen period pieces that are pride and prejudice, whatever, you know, like Jane Austen vibes, these Regency era mm. things that everybody who lived there was white, but yes. it's not true. And actually the Regency era is around the time when the East India Company was formed. So yeah, so the season two of Bridgerton is set in 1814. And that's 
200 years after the East India Company was founded. And the East India Company is like what began this very exploitive colonial relationship Mm. between Britain and India. But there was obviously a lot of travel between the two countries. And yes, there's this article on this website called History Extra, and it's titled Inspiring Bridgerton, the Real South Asian, the Real South Asian Women in Regency Era England. And um, the author whose last name is Gosh writes, in fact, at the turn of the 19th century, elites of Asian descent circulated through London, socializing with those who gathered in the city that would become the heart of empire. Considered aristocratic because of their status at home, quote unquote, on the Indian subcontinent, the women who moved through tea parlors, salons and ballrooms would have been educated, fluent in English and and Persian, and used to living among Europeans. Even though women of Asian lineage are typically not known for being free to travel and socialize with members of the opposite sex, she highlights the histories of these women named uh, Kitty Kirkpatrick, Helene Bennett, and Elizabeth Ducorel, I think that's how you say it, um, and saying that it suggests otherwise. And if you just even do a cursory Google, everyone's like, the real life shamas. So there's people that this is based on. So then I asked myself, like, but is there utility also in unwhitewashing even the colonial period? Because there's so much that like, it just looks like we weren't there. Like we were never anywhere. Mm. And anything you hear is servitude colonized, right? And we also have all these intra-community issues. Now I'm just talking very much generalizing about folks of color that are related to our class, right? Mm. Because of having been colonized. And um, I don't, I think I spoke about it. We may have spoken about it, but like um, I'm in this uh, Black Lady book club. And I, the last book we read was called um, Negro Land um, by this woman, Margot something. I'm forgetting. Margot Jefferson. It's a memoir. And she is an African-American woman, a writer who was part of like Jack and Jill and them, like um, the middle upper class Black folks. Um, in the, I think she was born in the 50s, maybe, but like Mm -hmm. had money Chicago, like nice side of black Chicago. And she was talking all about the rules of etiquette that are not dissimilar. You know what I mean? To Bridgerton Mm. in their own way. Like there's rules about how to be, how to look. There's, you know, very patriarchal standards, beauty, how you do your hair. And Mm. obviously all of that stuff is racialized and does come from white supremacist colonialism. Mm. And so... Yeah, we, I, was, I was having this debate because I don't know. We don't actually know like what the full outcome is, right? Like, mm. what can, and can you even measure? Can you do an accounting, right? Of if this, showing it like this without proper context, without folks understanding the, the eras of history and how people of color, you know, who were elite from India would have been moving about, you know, in the space mm-hmm. or just any of their colonies really would have been moving about in London. Does that actually do harm? Like, do people look at it and glorify it and think, yeah, it's good. Like people of color, we must do like as the white people did. Or does this actually expand your vision? Do you know what I mean? To be like, mm. oh, damn, like, oh, yeah, we would have been there. And I was talking, I was telling my friend, I was like, people were there. Like, I always get surprised when I see photos of black folks in old timey England, old time America, <laughs> like in, in carriages. On HBO right now, there's the show The Gilded Age. They've got like mm. nary a black person, but your girl Audra McDonald is in it. You know, we love her. <laughs> Shout out. Just them being dressed in that stuff. Like, I'm just so, ugh, like, what is this? But is it preferable that the only image I have of black folks historically is as enslaved folks? Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So I'm not answering any questions. I'm just, it's complicated because I can see it is both sides. And then I always end up at, can you just take entertainment and have it be entertainment or do, do things, especially if they're about the past and involve people of color need to be properly explained and be historically accurate. And then as an offshoot of that, like, can you even have full historical accuracy? And then another element that you can comment on, I know your friend has a has a podcast I called High Brow Lowbrow, is that I found also that there is a tinge of, in the commentary I read, that's very like, colorblind casting is stupid, it's harmful, it's all these things, and this show is stupid anyway, da 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 da, da. I find that there is a bend to it that's also, it's a little bit superior in the mm-hmm. sense of like, oh, this dumb show anyway, like it's not even a good show. And for me specifically, when it pertains to Bridgerton is like, we already know even in authorship in just publishing, right? Romance is a genre that predominantly has women writing the book um, mm-hmm. and is there's sexism involved. It's very much seen as a lesser than even though it's a skill, even though this woman who sold these Bridgerton books, she has a formula, she has a way that she writes it. There's a reason, there's an audience for it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So so I always, I'm always like a little bit suspicious of that thing because I'm like, there's no need to have a highbrow, lowbrow event. Like clearly if something is made and people enjoy it, pe- it, ser- it serves something, like people are enjoying it. So you can't just dismiss it as bad and, and like everybody who watches it is like duped and silly because I'm like, why do I enjoy it? And I'm like, it's compelling. It's good storytelling. I'm into it. I, you know, it's helpful that I have, I, but again, I don't know how harmful it would be if I had no idea about colonial history, if I wasn't able to, appropriately differentiate if I wasn't able to be suspicious of the depiction of certain power dynamics or Mm -hmm. the implications of, of, you know, just juxtaposing some things. But yeah, I think that's where I'll stop. No, look, I I, look many thoughts, but I'll just basically say, I think there is a utility in seeing people of color in very extravagant, in a very extravagant looking show as not the maids or the slaves. I think it's these, these, for me, I also take it as this was written as romance novels and erotic romance novels. So there's a very specific thing that's being, you know, told. And then Shondaland putting it on Netflix is telling a very specific story that's not necessarily just about the romance, I guess, element. So for me, it's like I really find it entertaining and fun frivolous Mm -hmm. and not that serious I think it's not this specific thing is not meant to be historically accurate Mm -hmm. it's not like making the crown Mm -hmm. where it would be inaccurate to have a black prince Philip right 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 it's fiction to begin with yeah you know it's it's fiction to begin with but also it's not meant to be historical fiction yeah if that makes sense like it's not It's not even, I understand exactly what, historical fiction. They literally just set the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. But they've literally set the story in that period. Mm -hmm. But it's just the story that's in that period. They're Mm -hmm. not talking, telling a story about that period. From that period, right. From that period, period. right. Yes, yes. So it is, there is commentary, of course, in it about that period. But it's not, that's not what it is. Yeah, they do still try to have some level of historical accuracy is what I'm saying. And questions and all of that. Right. But that's there to make it interesting to Mm -hmm. also develop characters Mm -hmm. more than it is about the era 
So for me, I'm like, I'm happy to see all of these different faces. I'm happy to see people of color in places where I've never seen them before. And I think it's helpful to see that. And I don't think Bridgerton is as interesting if it is just white people. Personally, mm-hmm. that's been done before. Mm-hmm. We've seen Shakespeare in love. We've seen that before. And I think what makes it interesting is that. My other thing is when it's fiction, I do not see, for me, mm. Santa Claus can be purple. Mm. It's not real. Yeah. <laughs> it's not real. Yeah. It's not real. It doesn't yeah. have to be a specific color, mm. race, culture. It doesn't have to be. I think where you want to be sensitive is if you do use a specific race to not then whitewash the race. I do think there's a sensitivity to be had there. And I think they try to be sensitive to that specifically in Bridgerton. The shamas were, you know, not Mm -hmm. just Sheffields. They were shamas. They were telling a story a bit about in their Indian heritage. Um, You do hear uh, Mary t- talking about Kate's, you know, using her full name. You you do hear, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't try to whitewash um, right. and the shamans. Yeah. And one of the Even things- though what Kate is doing is essentially sort of, you right. know, making her the the sister very eurocentric i mean she but, is as well because here's the thing like that yeah. is also the reality of colonialism it's sometimes exactly. one must have compassion for all of the all of the results right and i don't even mm. mean compassion in in like a pitying sense in a way no, it's no, no, no. like there were consequences to things right so exactly there was colonialism and it was so what's left out right um i like um is and it makes sense because it's a, a romance show, right? And I, I read this in a also in a New York Times article about how Bridgerton ch- touches on colonialism in uh, Regency England, I think it was called, or colonialism in India. And one of the things they say that what's clearly left out is the violent aspects of colonial rule. Like clearly there's Absolutely. no in there, right? But um, I really appreciated the scenes that were just between Kate, Edwina and the mom. Like when they the, the ceremony, the turmeric um, taste yes. before the wedding, when Kate's comforting. And, and I think I, I also, when I was doing, I read some article by somebody on an Indian person on the internet that was saying the mother, daughter, sister moments that are very like to Indian culture were they, the, the specific author appreciated seeing them. I'm not mm. <laughs> going to yeah, say, yeah, yeah. but like when she rubs oil in her sister's hair, even though she's lying mm. to her the whole time, you know, you know what I mean? They were, they were really, I thought they were very delicately done and very beautiful. Yeah. And I think, yeah, just there's, you're always, um, it's not a seesaw. Maybe it's like a scale, like there's such a dearth right uh like representation in just these things you know in all the diverse ways in which people of color have existed and do exist and will continue to exist that i and there's a hunger for it that of course we err towards the side of deep appreciation and and exhale and thank you but and you can be critical to no end like you know if that's what you want to do because you're not wrong either you know yeah i mean for me with this i take the good with the bad and Enjoy it for what this specific show is. It's not, it, there's a very, some, something very specific that they're telling. Mm-hmm. And one 
part that they do touch on mm-hmm. is even with the Sheffields, Sheffields and the Sharmas, mm-hmm. there is a clear, they're all Indian, mm-hmm. but there's a specific, like they, you have to sort of assimilate into the right, aristocracy. Yes, you've been And you've chosen not to. Yes, yeah. And yeah. that I'm ashamed and you've been shunned because you've chosen not to. You'd rather go back to India where we've come yeah. we've, and we've marry come a so lower class a lower class exactly. Indian cook. Like after everything we did for you. After everything. Is, I think is important to see because that story is not gone. It's that real. Gone. You know, it's yeah. Still, yeah, in different clothing with iPhones and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what did we talk about? We haven't re- we won't have released the episode by this time, but we did we've recorded an episode on Love is Blind. And do you remember mm. um, Shake. And, um, and Shake and them both yeah. like not ever having dated within the race and all the commentary that was around that and mm. about internalized racism, like colonialism has had consequences is the Mm. thing and because we now live in a very polarized time that's just like right wrong and also just ready Mm. to throw people away like nobody ends up how they are by thinking I would like to make wrong decision after wrong decision and disappoint everybody who knows and loves me and my culture at large everybody's really doing their best and of course we have to talk about it and make corrections for it and understand how it's Mm. harmful and all these things and that's not going to happen in a show on Netflix you know what I mean but I think it's good that well not this show on Netflix there are definitely shows on Netflix that will have that conversation but definitely not this one but Um, I think it's it's, but what I mean is like, I, and not because I think conversation does anything or awareness equals like social change, you know, right, right, right. but I do think putting it in there, like, you know what I mean? Like having had to look at it, having had to think about it. Cause like, if you, I mean, I don't know what a bunch of white folks might do if they're talking about Bridgerton, like what their t- thoughts on this might be. I imagine it might be yeah, yeah, yeah. off, but like I had a very um, thoughtful in-depth kind of like conflicty because you know you're hesitant to be just like a nice messy juicy important interest conversation with a friend of mine about this with you I'm yeah. about it you know what I mean and I and I think these are important things to be talking about in general because they are forcing you to think about yourself and to think about the other and to think about how you Mm. are relating to it and to think about history and to think about context and to think about value and to think Mm. about place and to, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's making things as complex as they truly are and not reduce. Of course, any one individual can make the the choice to be very reductive and simplistic or ignore something, but to the extent you're actually engaging with it, I found it. I don't know what word I'm looking for. It's been an experience. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think they are making, they're doing something specifically with the season two that they weren't doing season one that I think is allowing a lot more of that conversation because they're, there's, it's the, for me, it's the power of storytelling because I mean, mm-hmm. they're touching on these things without saying a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know if we have time for just a very quick, quick, quick flame. We can do a quick, <laughs> quick, quick, quick flame because I feel like we've uh, covered some of this anyway. Okay, you leave. Yeah. You do the quick flame. Your best and worst Bridgerton. I've got, I, I can go. You go, if you have your answer. I can tell you my worst. Yeah. Um, what's his name? The brother Penelope is in love with? Colin. Oh. Oh, Colin. Uh. 
so tiring. Yeah, I agree. So you know, who we everybody who kept saying, like, can you just stop talking to us about your travels? Like, we're so tired of hearing yeah. about travels. So. It's as if he went to Harvard. He's like one of those people. Oh, did I tell you I went to Harvard? That's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, Harvard. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even the way he treats Penelope and the way he spoke about her with his friends, like, mm. you don't have to go that far, dude. Like, okay, we get it. You're not into her. The best Bridgerton, the best Bridgerton. I still love Violet Bridgerton, the mom. I love her. I know you don't love her, but I love her and appreciate her in every way. I like Violet Bridgerton. I don't know why you think I don't like her. You I didn't like her when we spoke about her first season. Yeah. What did she do yeah. that made me angry? I don't know. That girl did nothing. No, no, no. I like Violet. I don't mind her. Um, I like, I guess, best Bridgerton. Well, I have a soft spot for Anthony now, but I'm going to like course. stand Eloise. Like she can stay. And then the worst Bridgerton. Was Simon a Bridgerton? No, Daphne was the Bridgerton. No, Daphne. <laughs> <laughs> but he's now the brother-in-law. Can I choose him anyways? She's choosing the, she's choosing the Duke of Aces. He's like I don't know. Yeah, technically, I guess. Oh man, he wasn't even on the season. He's yeah. your worst. Who was your worst? Who did you say your worst Bridgerton was? Colin. Okay, I'll take Colin as well. Colin can be my worst. He's very much annoying to me. Um, He's the worst. Yeah. Then Team Eloise or Team Penelope? For me, Team Penelope. Okay. I love that she is Lady Whistledown. Yeah, I would say. I'm also team Penelope, but I, I'm feeling Eloise. Like I'm understanding. And I also think they'll be friends again. So there's a part of me that wants to say like, in this moment, I'm team Eloise because I'm feeling the betrayal. Like I understand how she's feeling. I hear you. Penny didn't have to write that. She didn't have to do that. She could have just turned herself in. I know that that's not what we want, but I don't know. She didn't have to do she that. She was rooting for her to, to do it. Yeah. Just because I felt like it was important for Penelope's character to do that. Yeah. And I just felt like Eloise is so unaware of her privilege. It's so yeah. like, wow. I'm glad that boy from the printing press told her what's what. And then your favorite ship, Simon and Daphne or Kate and Anthony? Can't I choose Daphne and Anthony as people? Like, oh, um, you can! But <laughs> That is a couple, but just like as brother and sister, because those are my favorite people from... Okay, you know what though? I'm going to choose. I'm going to be decisive for once. I'm going with Kate and Anthony. For reasons of I really like Anthony more than I even like Daphne. And oh, I like okay. Kate and I like Kate enough. I do think that okay. but I do think that Simon and Daphne gave us Bridgerton, gave us romance. Yes. Us what yes. the genre is about. So they can win the Bridgerton game, but my couple of choice, like if I had to be like, oh, who would you go hang out with? I'd hang out with Kate and Anthony. Okay. You know what? I would also hang out with Kate and Ant Anthony. However, I burn for Simon and Daphne. <laughs> Okay, but you do. I can see that for you. I am happy to watch them from afar. And if I'm invited oh. to the ball where they're attending, I'll say hi. I'll hang around. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll definitely. Like, I mean, I'm friends with Kate, Kate and Anthony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're my people. I relate and I love Anthony. Probably okay. secretly in love, but yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then your top three characters overall. Well, Lady Whistledown, Lady Danbury. And the queen. The queen is like, I don't know if she can be considered a full character, but I mean, she is. Yeah, I'll choose those three. 
So I definitely agree with the Queen. She is a full character, perhaps not here, but her show is coming. And it will be about, it's a basically a prequel with about the rise oh, of Queen Oh, my God. Oh, I'm so excited about that. So I, yeah, I'm very excited for that. So I, I agree. I loved her. I love Queen Danbury. Ugh, Queen Danbury. She is, she is a queen. She's a queen. Lady Danbury. <laughs> but Lady I like, Danbury. I like all the older women. Like, that's how I am, though. <laughs> Same. My third, though, okay. is Lady Featherington. I was about to say, shout out to Portia, okay? She's going through so much. She's going through so much. She makes me livid with her desperation. But I'm also oh, like, you know how to get yourself out of a situation. When she got herself into that quagmire by setting up this scammer with her child, I was like, why were you so eager? Because when And when he told her, by the way, I have no money, I was like, ahead, good for you. Poor woman, lost husband. She's just trying. She has so many daughters and no money. Like it's a real, and her daughters are like suck so much. So I'm, oh man, I feel for her. But shout out to to, to my namesake. Oh, I love Lady Featherington the most. Yeah. Just wow, gives high drama, and I just, she's such a good villain because mm-hmm. like, you you feel I feel her. So I, no, I, I love her, um, and that's our quick flame. Perfect. Do you want to finish us off with um, the quote? Yeah, this one comes um, from the very first episode from our favorite lady, Whistledown. And um, she says, formed under pressure, desired by many, yet possessed only by a fortunate few. There is nothing on earth quite so envied as a diamond. Perfect. (laughs) Well, thanks for this, Porsche. I mean, I had a great time. I, I will say I was like, oh, fun. I'm enjoying the quote. And then because the last discussion we had was about colonialism, I was like, those diamonds aren't even yours. Africa. Anyway. Thanks, dear readers, for joining. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's it for us um, on the colonizers this week. Uh, we will. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you again next week, I think, with another Shondaland show. Yeah, it'll be fun. All right. Thanks, Tomsa. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at Assume It Will Be Brilliant Pod. And if you have any questions, queries, or comments, please email us at assumeitwillbebrilliant at gmail.com. And remember, step out into the unknown, assuming it will be brilliant. If you listen to the show and you like it and you love it and you want to support it and help other people find us, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if you listen on Spotify or anywhere else, please hop over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you.